Hey, this is Barbara Corker, and you are now tuned in to Business Unusual. And everything you ever learned about business, throw it out the window. I'm going to tell you the real deal. Listen in. Today, I'm going to answer all your burning questions about work, life, starting a company, getting on track, and much, much more. Be sure to call in to the Business Unusual hotline with your question at 888-BARBARA. That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. Today's episode is provided by Clavio. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O. Hey, how does a guy go from being a soap opera star and being killed off to becoming the number one broker in New York City? You want that answer? Well, I just had a phenomenal Q&A with Ryan Serhant, and he's going to give you his secrets. You're in for a surprise. What a pleasure to have you here, Ryan. You are much better looking than you look in your hands, no doubt. Oh, I don't know how to respond to that one, but thank you. Thank you is a good thing. Now, let me ask you about that face. It's so shiny <laughs> and so fresh looking. What would you do, scrub it with soft scrub or something before you came over here today? Um, no, I do. I, I wash my face with like a mud soap. Um, and then there's a facialist that I've gone to for a long time. Uh, her name is Udit, and she's on the Upper West Side. Uh, and I saw her this weekend, so maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe I'm just she ripped my face off on Saturday, and I'm still recovering. Well, I'm going to go to her this Sunday, no doubt. If I could come out looking like you, Ryan. Before you started in the real estate business, your first foray into the TV world was my grandmother's, my grandmother's favorite show, As the World Turns. Yeah. You were there for 19 episodes, and then they killed you off. Yep. I've always been curious on all these shows. What does it feel like to be killed off? Is that announced to you the week before? Next week you're dead? How does that go and what did you do? Oh, man. What a throwback. Uh, yeah, I think I found out two weeks ahead. Of, no, you're right. It was about a week ahead of time. I got the script and I just I, I was taking my grandmother uh, and the rest of the hospital hostage with a syringe um, so that I could get ransom so that I could get a helicopter to go to the Caribbean where I could do my research in peace. But I kind of knew something was going on because when I started on the show, everything was great and happy. But then in behind the scenes, reality TV had kind of started as this real thing. So like Dog the Bounty Hunter was getting much better ratings in reruns at 1 p.m. than As World Turns was. And so like our set started getting crunched. And they they used to pick us up every morning and take us to set. And all of a sudden they're like, nah, take the train. And they used to have food and then all, the, all these cutbacks, cutbacks, cutbacks. And then all the characters started dying when I got there. Like, wow, I don't what's going on? But what it meant was they were firing actors left and right to save money. And then who kills them all? It's me. Oh my God. Yeah. And so I took my and I took my grandmother hostage and then my grandmother killed me. Yeah. Gosh. And we wrestled on the roof and she was she overpowered me and the syringe went into my heart and I died slowly on the roof and that was the end of that. But what tough. a goodbye. So dramatic. It was super dramatic. You it's... know, I always misunderstood that. I thought on all these shows, quite honestly, that it was part of the plot and it was just an uh, unusual and sad benefit that some of the actors didn't get to continue. I didn't know it was intended to save money. No, it it's, always, it's always intended to save money. Oh, my God. But what yeah. if you had the best rating on the show? Would they still do that? Uh, I don't think so. I think they find ways to keep you there, right? And then they'll pay you more because they know that without you, the ratings might go down. But I think on soaps, I mean, they kill people off left and right. 
Yeah, and that was it. That was 19 episodes, in and out, like a trout. Answer that question for me. Every time I see somebody drop dead on a show, I'm going to realize they were no good anyway. They wanted to save the money. Yeah, haven't dropped dead on Million Dollar Listing yet, though. Shortly after that, you took on a side gig in the real estate field just to support yourself while you're trying to get different acting jobs. You weren't serious about real estate. It was a means to an end. Yep. Uh, but it turned out for you to be the big kahuna. Were you surprised or was that really in the back of your head the whole time? Uh, it was never in the back of my head. I, I just didn't want to move home. I didn't want to move home with my parents. I wanted to stay in New York City um, because I knew if I moved home to Colorado, I would never come back to New York and I'd get married and have kids and then die. Um, oh my God. And that really freaked me out. And you were how old at the time? 23. I don't blame you. Nobody wants to go back with mom and dad at 23. Yeah, I didn't want to move back with my parents. I didn't want to get a temp job. I didn't want to bartend or wait tables. I'm not from New York, so I didn't didn't really know New York City, right? I lived in Koreatown. I knew all the trains were right there, and I knew Macy's was right there, and a lot of the castings for auditions would happen in the 20s and 30s. And so a friend said, listen— you, you know, I was hand modeling to pay the bills, um, and that paid me way better than the soap ever did. Well, now, you know, these are— Actually, they're quite beautiful. All the manual labor from having two phones. It's just, it's, it's made them tough. Um, but, uh, but he said, get your real estate license. It's the greatest thing in the world. And that was early 2008. And by the time I got my license and, and uh, was ready to go, Lehman Brothers filed for bankruptcy on that day. Oh, great timing. All yeah. right. My God, I'll get back to that later. But yeah. your first big deal took over a year to close, right? Yes. What got in the way? How does a deal take a year to close? Uh, he was based in another country. Uh, yeah, that deal was for $8.3 million. He um, uh, was in another country. He whoa, found me whoa, on the whoa, internet. Whoa, whoa, Hold it, Ryan. Your first deal was first, for over $8 million. My first big deal ah, okay. was for over eight. Seems more fair now. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, that was a couple years into it. My first sale was just under 370000 at 10 Hanover Square. Didn't take a year, but it took it took a couple months. Had to paint that apartment. It was a studio. You gotta it was be weird. Kidding. Yeah, yeah. But I was mostly doing rentals. I didn't. I didn't. My goal wasn't to get into sales or to sell buildings or do anything. I had no idea what the difference was between a condo, co-op, townhouse, brownstone. I just knew that if I go to Craigslist, I can post ads for apartments, and I'll meet people at Starbucks, and then I'll show them ten apartments, and hopefully they pick one. And if they do. Then if the rent is $3,000 a month, the commission will be one month's rent. That's 1500 bucks to me because my split with the house was 50-50 because I was a brand new agent. $1,500 for showing people apartments for one day, like that's- Phenomenal. That's, yeah, the, the soap would pay me 800 bucks, you know, pre-tax for the day. And so that was great. You know, I'll do that. No problem. I'll do that twice a month and I'll pay all my bills. But it's still, it's still so much an industry of many, many rejections and a few yeses. You probably got hit on the head and rejected a million times for every one deal you did. Maybe even as much as you do when you're trying out for a role on TV. I don't really know. How does the rejection compare in the TV business versus the real estate, which is tougher? Yeah, you talk about that a lot, and um, uh, and it's it, one. It, it's an honor to be here with you and talking to you. Don't because schmooze me. I'm not Ryan. schmoozing. You are schmoozing I am not. me. I feel I mean, it like twenty five percent schmooze. Okay, um, there's a confession. I say fifty. Go ahead. I would say that I think the acting business in New York City was so personally tough because the rejection is to your face about your face. 
right? It was about the color of my hair. I was too tall or my voice was bad. And so you, you fall in love with a part and then you just don't get it. And they're like, now nah, we went with someone who's better looking or someone who's this or someone who's that. And they don't really provide you with a real reason why, right? So you're left kind of wondering always on yeah. these. It's kind of like being fired without being hired Correct. and wondering what was wrong with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. And it's, uh, and it's every day, all day, you know, and you work your butt off and you make no money. You know, there's no salaries, like there's no actors kind of job. Um, and so when I got into real estate, I saw a lot of people hated the rejection, but for me, compared to acting rejection, it was, okay, so you're not going to take the apartment. No problem. That would have been cool if you did, but at least you don't, at least you're not taking the apartment because of my nose yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or because of my voice. It was because they found something else or because they never wanted to do it in the first place. So it was easier for me to get around that first year, which I think a lot of people have a hard time with um, because everybody just wants to be given everything. Ryan, I think that's the best description I've ever heard comparing the two trades because most people say it's the same thing, but so much easier to have the apartment be the enemy versus you. Yeah. Well, like night and day. I never thought about that. Yeah, totally different. Um, And even today, like I, when people don't take apartments, I made it a rule for myself not to take it personally. You know, if they, if they like the apartment or they like the house, I'm there to help them with that process and help them make a decision they were probably going to make anyway, except I'm going to help them make it a little bit faster. And how, how important do you feel? I could give you my own philosophy, but I don't want to slant your thinking, even though I doubt whether I could. Um, how important is it of, for the salespeople to really be able to take a hit on the head and come bouncing back? Do you think that's the number one trait common to all superstars? Or do you think that's just one trait in a list of many others? No, I think it's 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 that first trait, right? You can't win in a boxing match unless you know how to get punched in the face, right? It's Mike Tyson, it's every, it's Muhammad Ali, it's every quote from every major fighter. Um, if you can't get up after a failure, if you can't get back on the phone after a deal dies, if you can't excite yourself on a Tuesday morning in the rain when you know you know that today you have no appointments, so what am I going to do with myself? Like then you're, I, I don't know how you're going to find that kind of success. And the hardest thing for me to teach anyone is initiative. You know, it's a real, real difficult thing. Can it be taught initiative? I think if you can help someone discover within themselves what they're working for, what that wall is, and then visually put it in front of them, then I think you can help someone understand why initiative is important. But it's not as easy as saying, hey, this is how you do this. This is how you do that. Initiative isn't technical. I think initiative is uh, almost like a physical representation of your confidence level. Because I find the people, especially in the sales field, who are confident, self-confident, or at least so insecure that they've worked on making themselves look confident, I find that they are the best people suited for the trade just to break through their confidence. Sure. But you think it's a wall showing them where they want to go versus what's holding them back and getting them through? Yeah, I think there's a difference between authentic and inauthentic confidence. And I think we all have to be pretty adept at having both. I mean, there's days when I feel authentically confident and I've done a good job this week and I feel good, let's go. And then there's other days where I feel like crap and four deals have died and you know I'm scared about life and this, that, the other. And but I put on that confidence face and I know how to push it forward so that people on the street probably can't tell the difference between the two. Um, but that's, you know, that's when I first got into the business, I had zero confidence and was insecure about everything. Um, and I, I looked at people who were, who 
had confidence and could walk into a room and control the space. And to me, those people had something that I called a long time ago, big money energy. Um, and that's something that I always, always wanted. And it took me a long time to figure it out. I'm surprised to hear you say you started that place. I would think you'd start at a nice B level and work your way to an A+. a plus. It doesn't show any whatsoever. Yeah, no, because I got into acting not because I was obsessed with doing theater. I got into acting because I sucked at sports um, and I was overweight and I had really bad skin and I didn't have a girlfriend and I had like, and I just wasn't the cool kid. I would kid. have been your girlfriend. I swear to God. We should go back in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was, and it was tough. And so I could, in, in theater class, I could pretend to be somebody else. Uh, and that was helpful for me. And then I, then I just liked it and I liked making people laugh. Um, and I think that was a defense mechanism, you know, um, for me. And so then when I got to college, I continued to do it. And then when I got to New York, I did it more and, and it's helped me as a tool for, for what we do now, right? Comedy? Selling real estate. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. You know, I always used to think if you get a customer actually laughing along with you, you've got yourself a sale. Yeah. You might not have landed the apartment yet, but you own the customer. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel sales the same way? Yeah. I think you, you have to be able to, to find a, a genuine, uh, emotional reaction with somebody, you know, and laughter, I think it's probably the easiest one to do. I, I don't know if getting someone to cry with you is, is going to get you the sale, but if you can get someone to have fun with you, you know, something I think you'd probably agree with is like people hate being sold, but they love shopping with friends. And so if I can get someone to internet shop with me first and then in person shop with me second, and then we're friends all along, then then I'm pretty good. I think, too, if people like you, uh, they automatically trust you, which isn't always deserved, by the way. I've seen a lot of con men be very likable yes. and con people. But I think it naturally follows. One thing when I was always building the Corcoran Group, I realized early on uh, when I was building my business that in December it was my absolute worst month. Because every single one of my phenomenal salespeople, the top 10%, would come to me and tell me they'd never sell again. They were the most insecure people in the whole organization. And other people who were almost on the way out of the business or mediocre at best never came in for help. Yeah. They thought their next year was going to be just fine. Yeah. So I started thinking that the more insecure an individual was, the better they were going to do in sales. And I factored that into interviewing people. because so I thought it was a, a magic ingredient that drove people to prove yeah. something. Yeah. Do you find so you've hired a lot of people over time? Do you find that uh, that is a magic ingredient, or is was it just my own experience? No, no. I I think you you hit the nail on the head um, very articulately. I I look for people who have something to prove. Um, you know, I've hired a lot of people by mistake who haven't had anything to prove, but just had good energy and who I thought would be good salespeople. And they, they just don't care enough. You know, you, this job is, you know, it's, it's all about follow-up. It's about persistence and being consistent. And it takes a lot, a lot, a lot of mental work to get deals done and not just one deal, right? You want to do many, 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 many. Um, and that person needs to have something to prove to somebody, right? Like who are you trying to, to prove something to? And I, I think, like Million Dollar Listing helped me figure out what that was for me. What was that um, for you? I'd be curious, of course. Yeah, I think it was, uh, I was barely a real estate agent when they cast me on that show. Uh, and then all of a sudden, uh, NBC Universal was telling me, if you aren't good, we're going to put you on TV to millions of people showing you being bad at your job. What a mean thing to say. Yeah, they, they filmed that first season with four of us and told us, the one who sucks the most will be cut. And that's what happened. 
So it's tough. Let me tell you, there was somebody with a brain there because that, what they also understood, and I would think that's the second most important trait in every great salesperson, is they are competitive. Yeah. What a nice competition to set up from the get-go, right? Yeah, for wow. sure. Wow. Yeah. And so it was like this metaphorical shotgun to the head of, I got to sell real estate because I need to make money and pay bills. I've got to sell real estate because I'm going to make commitments to clients. And then, oh my God. God, I cannot be embarrassed around the world. No one will ever call me or hire me. If I'm the real estate agent on TV, that's terrible. Yeah, 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 yeah. That would be terrible. You know what? Even if you had been terrible, which you certainly were, and you were a success from the beginning, I think people would have fallen in love with you because you're good looking, charming, and you would have been the underdog. They would be rooting for you. You may have done better for all you know. How do you know, looking back? Maybe you should have flubbed it so everybody was on your side and saying, go, Ryan, go, Ryan. Yeah, maybe. It could work both ways, you know? Yeah, for sure. Of course. Uh, Before I leave the subject of competition. Uh, Carrie Chiang was my number one broker competing every year with the Sharon Bounds, the Robbie Browns, and whoever else was climbing on her back to surpass her. And she was probably the most competitive salesman, probably I would say consistently the best salesman I have ever worked with, with no doubt. But in 2018, you beat her out, didn't you, as the number one salesman in all of New York? Was Uh, it 2018? I think team. Our, our team, team did. But our, he's, she's got a powerhouse team. That counts sure. too. It's yeah. team versus team led by a superstar. But you yeah. beat her out nonetheless. Yeah. We um, we beat a lot of people for a couple of years. I never focused on any particular type of deal. You know, I figured out early on that if I could leverage myself and learn how to use people, I could sell more real estate. And what do you mean by use people? I know it has a bad rap to use yeah. people. What do you mean by that? I mean, where I cut a deal with somebody who then would be on my team where I'm going to use you to sell more real estate because you're going to do a lot of work for me and you're going to use me to build your profile and be in type of listings that you otherwise never would have been in. And yeah. And so it's, we're going to use each other, right? Just very, very simply. Um, I think 2017 so far was our, our best year. We did 838 million close that year. Um, and the market's come down ever since then. And so, but listen, Carrie is like, I look up to her uh, so much. And, you know, Carrie and Deborah Kern and Lisa Lipman and like these power, Serena Boardman. I mean, there's powerhouse women um, brokers in, you know, in this city that like are, are huge role models of mine and, and of, of a lot of people that work with me. Um, and it's about time Millionaire Listing finally got a woman on the show, which we'll have this year. What about Frederick? You work with him on this show. Yeah. Um, you just rattled off a bunch of women that are phenomenal yeah. and always number one salespeople. Yeah. Uh, what about Frederick? Uh, he seems a little bit pompous to me. I mean, I think that's part of his act or that's who he is. Mm-hmm. What about him? How competitive do you feel with him? You know, I had a conversation with him last week, actually, because uh, we were in another argument. And, um, uh, you know, I think we both understand. An argument for the sake of the show or you were really in an argument? Uh, no, it was a, it was an actual, I would call it a disagreement. It was Better a disagreement, said. yeah. Lovely. Um, and, <laughs> uh, you know, and we both, I think, have always felt that since we were both cast on that show in 2010 and have now been on it for about 10 years, My you know, we, no. we were pit against each other by by the producers. And then so the city just sort of assumed that we were against each other. But Frederick's much older than me. I was brand new and I looked up to him as this big broker, not from New York, who was selling things. And, um, uh, but, you know, I think 
because of the way he acted and the types of sales that he did, it made me work harder because I wanted to do better. And I think because I was some no-name broker from some firm no one had heard of, I think it made him work harder because, shoot, Ryan's going to come around the corner. And so, you know, it's always been, you know, at the end of Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, he talks about where he, like, he thanks Adidas, right? Without Adidas, Nike wouldn't be where it is today because it forced him to work even harder. And I think... um uh, the two of us have have benefited from each other's competitiveness. Wow. Okay. But is he easy to work with? No. I didn't think so. No. When I was talking to him, I'm saying, hey, he's he'd nice. be a bit, of, nah, not so nice. <laughs> not so nice, I don't think. But anyway, we'll leave it right there, right? Let's take a short break to talk about a company I love. Now let's get back to the show. Uh, what do you make of what's going on in New York City today? We're in a tough spot, yeah. and stupidly, I might say, you open a new business in the worst market in the world. Congratulations. Hey, Thanks. hey, 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 hey. Hey, I admire your courage. I'm not yeah. sure that was planned quite that way, but there you have it. You're in it anyway. But yeah. what do you think about the city? I always think it's unshakable because I've lived through enough downturns to believe it always comes back like crazy it comes back, makes up for lost time. Yeah. What do you think, and could you have ever built the success you did in any city other than New York City? I know that rolled a lot in there. But. Yeah. The the answer to the latter part of that question is no way. Uh, New York, and, and I tell this to people all the time, like New York is the house. Like we're in a casino. I am one player and New York is the house. And so you got to take care of New York. And if you do, New York will pay you back. Like we have, you know, 40 million in closings tomorrow, not because of me, because New York allowed those homes to be worth that much money that someone would pay that much money for those homes in a post-COVID world, even though they're at amazing discounts. Um, I think you don't bet against New York City. I think the energy here will never, ever go away. Um, and I think that I'm a broker, right? So like, I, for me, it's about the trades. If the trades are in one part of the city, that's where I'm going to be. If they're in another part, that's where I'm going to be. You know, And if the deals are up or the deals are down, I'm just trying to help people buy and sell as many homes as I physically can with the thousand minutes that I'm given every day. How do you feel about so many people leaving the city? Does that shake your confidence in any way? And how do you feel about the supply and demand of our market having much more supply than demand right now? Do you, do you, and I'm curious, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Do you let that get in your head or you ignore all of that and just say, I'm just going to do the same old thing I'm doing? No, I think, um, like, uh, you know, my dad, taught me to sail when I was a little kid, uh, and I absolutely hated it. But what I remember the most was when I was the most afraid of the sailboat tipping over, which is what I hated because we thought it was going to die every day, right? You couldn't was, swim, right? <laughs> no, I could, but it just like, I didn't want to die, um, was you just, you stay the course. You pick your point and you stay the course, and that's how you stay afloat in a storm. And that's kind of the way I feel now. Um, I I knew I was going to start a new real estate company in 2020. And then Corona happened. It delayed me a little bit, but I just stayed the course. And yes, a lot of people are leaving, but it also opens up the city for a lot of opportunity. I mean, rents are the lowest now they've been since I've gotten into the business, lower Down than they were what, in 2009. Really low by what, 25, 30%? That's my sense of it. 
Yeah. Yes. I think it's, yeah, I think it's even over 30%. Um, uh, but rents are incredibly low. Interest rates are the lowest they've ever been. That's old news now. We take it for granted. Like a note on a refrigerator. Yeah. Interest interest rates have been low since 2009, but, um, uh, there are discounts on trophy properties now that you've never been, I haven't been able to do since I got into the business in 08. But what percentage off? Let's say you have a $10 million property. Anybody would consider that a trophy property. Yeah. What are you selling for it right now than you would have it, say, a year ago? Because that mark was already soft a year ago. But right yeah. now, what kind of a discount do your buyers get? 30%. 30%. That's yeah. hefty. It is hefty. That's $3 million. And how about if they return to the market? It's a guesswork, of course, always. But let's say they return to the market two, three years out. Yeah. Would they pay back to $10 million on it, would you think? I think in three years, we'll be back to par. Um, three think, years is what you think. I think so. Yeah. I think, I think you know, what I've been telling everybody and what I, I believe is that from 2021 to 2031, I think we'll have a good 10-year run. Um, and I think a lot of these people who have left, whether they bought or not, in their mind, even if they think it's temporary – a lot of them are going to come back next year and you know they're not going to be okay with with the quiet they're not going to be okay with olive garden they're not going to be okay Mowing with the darn everything lawn, yeah right? the lawn the yeah. raking the stuff the gardeners the roofs the, the commute. things well it's hardly it's a, a process yes, yeah of course but you know it's a it's like there's this massive public onslaught against new york city but it's when was the last time other than uh, let's say Lehman and Hurricane Sandy in 9-11, you know, anytime New York is the underdog, it's like that prize fighter in any boxing movie who like takes it in the chin, goes down, really dramatic, everything's teared, they're out for the count, and then looks around for a second and then comes back Rocky style and kicks everyone's ass. And then everyone knew it was going to happen all along. Right? That's visual. what people are going to say. Yeah. That's what they're going to say in a couple of years. We're like, well, we knew it. We knew it. New York, oh, everybody yeah, knows yeah, yeah. it in hindsight, right? Yeah, Do you remember so what happened stupid. after 9-11? I distinctly remember losing many of my friends to the suburbs. I'd say half them yeah. returned to the city within a year, actually. They knew their mistake, and they came running back. Yeah, I was in 11th grade. Um, ah, so you never. In Boston. I'm, you're just going to have to take my word on that one. I will take I think I was about 17 or 18 maybe when that yeah. happened, as I recall, if I'm doing the numbers right. Yeah. And did That's they come exactly, back or no? They came back, about half came back, yeah. yeah. And you know what else uh, is wonderful, I think, is this is a sweet spot of New York uh, when there's tremendous uh, tumultuous change. That's my yeah. new $5 word, tumultuous change. Tremendous yeah. tumultuous change. Because uh, that's what New York's good at, change. Yeah. We're not. We're very accustomed to change and bouncing back. So I, again, I don't worry about New York like everybody else, but I was curious of your spin. Now yeah. I want to go on about Ryan the Remarkable Faker. Okay. okay. You announced you were the top broker in the city long before you were. You jazzed up your million-dollar listing audition in mm-hmm. a rented Range Rover with your friends pretending to be clients to get the job. Don't you worry about getting caught? Thanks. Um, uh, no. I've been pretty open about it. Oh, um, you maybe open afterwards. But when you're faking this shot, yeah. oh, I almost said shit, but I didn't say You said it. shot. <laughs> okay, I said shot. You're right about that. Yeah. When you're faking this shot, People don't know it. So aren't you afraid of after the fact somebody nailing you on the thing? Hey, you weren't that. You didn't do that. Yeah, but I think, you know, I had an opportunity in front of me and I'm going to take it. And I think that I do that a lot. Um, And I knew that the casting agents were from L.A. and I knew they didn't know anything about New York. And I knew they were looking for the best young brokers. Uh, And I knew it wasn't me, but I knew how to audition. 
and I gave Great them advantage. I gave them what they wanted. Um, and one of the clients they met was real, uh, and he was by far the craziest. And I think that really, really helped me. But yeah, I didn't have a car. I didn't. I'd never driven in the city before until that day when they filmed me for half the day, and I borrowed a Range Rover and just like all I did was go through red lights because I thought like, okay, let me scare them. That's what they'll remember because <laughs> when people are afraid, well they remember things. And I think that also helped me. I think because I scared the crap out of them. I had everyone I know call me on my cell phone. So they're like, wow, he's blowing up. He's super busy. He's also a lunatic. We should bring this guy back. Yeah. And it's, um, and it worked. Yeah. I think, most importantly. Yeah. yeah. But I think, think to kind of like any opportunity, right? Like if you get, if you get picked to be on the basketball team, even if you faked your way onto it, then you go into a game, you actually have to play. Mm -hmm. And if you can't yeah, play, they're, they're going to take, take you out. And you learn to play well. Yeah. And I had, I had really, um, uh, I had two months once they cast it to when filming started. And that was like, a, okay, now that I'm here, now I got to make this work. And I, and I cold called uh, all day, every day. That's how I got my first listings. I said, listen, I'm going to be on a TV show. Click. Okay, my name is Ryan Surrey. I'm from a company called Net. Click. Click, click, click. Until I got expired listings that wanted to sell that were like weird, interesting. And those are my, those are my, first, those are my first deals, right? Just from pure hustle. Working with the stuff that other brokers didn't want. Yeah, that's been my business sell, model. Really. Yeah. Everybody ignores that sector of the market. I just don't really know why. I it's it's it has been our business model. I mean, it's um for a while I called myself the the recycling guy because I how glamorous. Yeah. I listen Whoa. all I want to do is sell real estate. So if someone else is gonna spend three years on it and educate that seller to a point of frustration and then I can waltz in as the second wife. All day long. Second right? life, great way to put it. Yeah, yeah, right. But but I just want to return to it for one moment. But how about stepping new into the business and to the real estate community, which are your colleagues, yep. your clients, brazenly announcing you're the top broker? How do you find that chutzpah? And weren't you afraid that would backlash on you? Uh, I didn't, Most people would call that a big lie, right? Am I right about that? Yeah, but I didn't announce that I was a top broker when I first started, mm -hmm. right? I think I said, I'm one of the best. And I could hold that up, right? I am one of the best. Mm -hmm. How many bests are there? 150, 10, 2? Oh, see, people exaggerated what you said. Everybody said you were shouting around, I'm the best. I'm the best broker. No. One of the best. Oh, I get it. No, I was All one right. of the best. You're more clever than I gave you One of the best. For. One of the best. I only told people that we were the top sales team when, when the numbers actually indicated that we were. And then, to be honest, it really pissed me off um, because – you know, I saw what we could do, and then I saw what other people really were doing and how they carried themselves, and then it just really, really annoyed me. I was like, okay, so now I'm just going to my, – my goal, my chip on my shoulder, for all of you that, that don't think that we can do it, um, I'm just going to outsell you for the rest of my life. You know, Good way to get even. Yeah, why not? So you married your wife, Amelia, four years ago? Yeah. Which surprised me. I thought for sure you were gay, but hey, you get a surprise so every did day. She. So, she did too? Yeah, when she, we first met. She tried you out before you tied the knot. She did. God, okay. But I, I used it to my advantage because I, otherwise I don't know if she would have talked to me. But I think because she thought I was gay, then I could sneak my way in there. And then before she knew it, it was too late. She's like, oh, I guess you're not gay. Wow, yeah. nice discovery. That's how you do it. You still surprise me, I have to say. Yeah, you're welcome. But now that you have a child together. 
<laughs> Does it uh, change your attitude toward your work? Because you're a workaholic like crazy. You can't have your success in the real estate business unless you work endless hours. Do you find that you have a conflict playing in your heart maybe that oh, I'd rather be home versus here? Or are you able to focus like you always have? Is there any reluctance or competition from the baby? Um, Amelia has told me and she looked it up because she was confused because she thought when she got pregnant, I would want to be with her all the time. And that when the baby came, that I just want to be home with the baby all the time, which, which is true. Like, I would love to be with the baby all day long, but it's it's not in the cards for me. And she said, this is your form of nesting. Knowing that you now have a family and a baby girl, you now work harder and you work more. But I also find ways to compromise. Um, you know, I'm there. I'm I. I wake up an hour earlier than I ever used to so I can be home when the baby wakes up instead of going to the gym while the baby's awake. Um, and the Saturdays are for the baby, which used to be my office day for, mm. t- for 11 years. Getting yourself years. organized, yeah. Yeah, it was my organized day um, and getting everything done while everybody else had their phone shut off or were in the Hamptons. That was my office day. No one would bug me. I would clean out my email. I would line up everything. I'd go through the entire past week to make sure I didn't miss anything. I'd plan out the entire week ahead of time. I'd reorganize all goals. That way, by Sunday for open houses, it's like a clean, fresh slate. But where do you find that time now? If you're going to dedicate that to your new child, where do you find that organizational time? Um, I don't I do not do open houses anymore, so now it's Sunday. Oh, so, so I, Sunday it rolls into that. Yeah, so now okay. the team does the open Good houses plan. and everything. And so now my Sundays, mm-hmm. um, I you know I book about 10 hours probably in the office on a Sunday. And that's when I do all that work. Okay, so you yeah. worked a system. And yeah. You, and you have it all. Good for you. Most people don't get it all. Find the system, use the system, change the system for your benefit. Whoa, yes, sir. Okay, yeah. got it, got it, got it. Let me write that down. <laughs> um, I found that when I was building the Corcoran Group, the worst day of any given calendar year is if I had a superstar or an emerging superstar leave my employment, which only happened twice in, which isn't bad, 20 years. Uh, but yeah. I felt for myself personally as their manager, as their head, that it was an F on my personal report card. Yeah. I thought I just failed at a manager leading people, not making them happy. You had four people leave at once a couple of years back, right? Yeah. How did that make you feel? And did you interpret it the same way? Or do you have a new, uh, like a more modern attitude toward that? It was very hard on me. It was very personal, very personal. Yep. Uh, I took that day personally because they all left basically in the same week. Um, that was a that was a different kind of circumstance. You know, I, I think in building a team, um, and possibly versus building a brokerage company, which I'm learning now, mm-hmm. day by day. Vastly different. Yeah. With a team, it's all about my personal attention, working on my listings, working with my buyers. And that happened um, when I was shooting a spinoff show for Bravo called Sell It Like Sirhant. And I was gone, basically, for four months. And then I wasn't in the office, and I had team members just say, listen, this isn't what we signed up for. Of course. And they I left. thought they were buying into you. Yeah, yeah and they left while I was filming like in a hot tub store in the Hamptons in a Speedo. And I was like, this is just annoying. But I've learned since then, with everybody who's ever left me, new people come in who are better. <laughs> isn't that amazing about this business? It's like yeah. God blesses you and opens the door and the next new salesperson, my heels are all caught up, next new salesperson walks in the door. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's yeah. miraculous. People don't believe that unless you live it, but it's really what happens. If you can find the courage, particularly when I found the courage to get rid of a phenomenal salesperson who is miserable for me to live with and got rid of them, it's like the very next day a superstar walked in the door. How did you do that? 
get rid of them. Yeah. It took courage. But I, once I did it when I was very young in the business, five or six years in, and Norma Hirsch walked in to replace this woman, oh, could drive anybody crazy, who has two personalities. The customer loves them, but living with them is another story. Yeah, yeah. A lot of salespeople have two personalities. Yes, they do. But my next superstar walked in the door, and I never forgot that, and I had no problem getting rid of complainants after that point. Yeah. And a lot of great salespeople could make you miserable, as you well know. Oh, no, yeah. I'm aware. Yeah. So you learn the lesson once you move on. You become a smarter manager, a better leader, right? Yep. Yeah. So let me move on. So you started your own company. My yep. questions are going to lump them all together. Why the heck would you do that? <laughs> really, why the heck would you do that and take away from your stellar ability to sell and make a ton of money yep. and spend your time in administration, recruiting, day-to-day -day problems, day-to-day -day management? It's almost like you were the star kid and you went over and became the mom. Why would you do that? Okay. That's my first question. Maybe I'll ask that first. I... Uh... I guess my answer is, is is there's a couple answers to that. First is I, I don't do any of the administrative. I, I made it very, very clear when I was going to do this, especially to all my clients, because I didn't want to have it backfire. Because mm. my life doesn't change. And your competitors will use it against you. Yeah, you know, I, build, I build brands. Yeah. I sell left and right all day long. I'm still in appointments. I still go on showings. That was That's where I was before this interview. That's where I go after this. And um, I hired a lot of people to run everything for me. At the end of the day, I think the buck will stop with me, but all that administrative stuff happens without me because it's, it's not what I'm good at. Um, the brand and lead flow is what I was good at. And so I can do that a lot better on my own than I can do at another brokerage. And it, it just it's just stopped making sense. Everyone assumed I owned the brokerage I was at. I had I had built too many other companies that were sitting in the brokerage off. It was just, it was time for me to take all of those different companies and pull them together under one roof and do it on my own. And also the big thing for me is where, where do you, where do I go from here? Like it's, I, 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 I built a big team. We were 64 people at the top. You know, we were selling 700 to 800 million a year, you know, at a firm that never produced a single lead for me. There's no, no resources. We were left completely by ourselves. So I set up everything on my own. I, I don't want to do that for the rest of my life. Next step is, is try to is start my own real estate company. You well, know? before I let you off that hook, that all sounds logical. Yeah. I'm going to say two things. One thing you're going to get out of it, which maybe was in your planning or you should be aware of it, is you're building an equity that you can cash out on just like I did, right? You if cashed you out at a very energy. different time in the world, though. Yeah, but there will always be a buyer up and down depending upon the market. You will have an equity and you'll make more money selling the equity than you ever made in sales if sure. you do it, if you play it right, all right? Um, but uh, what I still don't understand is how do you manage to make your superstars feel like they, they are the apple of your eye and make them feel important? Because I always think of superstars as racehorses and not workhorses. Yeah. They work like a workhorse, yeah. but they need to be managed like a, like a racehorse. They need to be petted, <laughs> calm them down, all that kind of stuff. I probably spent a good third of my waking hours nurturing superstars, and they were high-maintenance people. Yes. Who does that for you if you're out in the field selling? Because there is a need for that if you're going to build superstars. Yeah. Uh, a good chunk of that will be me. Um, but we've been a legal brokerage now for 25 days. And so I think I have to keep you posted. Okay. I'd love to hear about that. And yeah. I wish you luck. I think it's the most uh, tedious but also the most rewarding portion of building a real estate business.
Thank if you. you love people. Yeah. Yeah, and I got to believe they love you back, so you're not going to have an issue with that. My people love me back. Thank God that was a head start, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so your new book, Big Money Energy, comes out in January. It gives a plan of action for people to find their own confidence. Yeah. How does an individual find that confidence? Oh, man. Um, Especially in sales, which is such a head game. Yeah, there's 250 pages on that. You know, for- yeah, but just say it in four words or less, please. <laughs> and yeah. then they got to buy the book, get it? Yeah, they do have to buy the book. Um, you know, I, I had to figure out a way because I, I had the skills and I knew how to sell. I knew what to say in the room. Um, and I could memorize information because I had been taught that as an actor. But I, I, my palms would get sweaty. And I didn't know what to do when I got into that room or sat with that client. Um, and uh, I, so I had to build out kind of like a blueprint and a strategy for how to build confidence when I had no confidence. For um, yourself. For and myself. How do you transfer that to somebody else? How do you teach someone who's lacking confidence to specifically work on this to get your confidence in, in check? Yeah. Or build it to make it bigger than it is? Yeah. The, the first step is to really, really stop caring. About a lot it's of so different interesting. things. Yeah. yeah, and it's not just caring about what other people think. It's it's stop caring about um, uh, about things that you might care about now that are just completely meaningless. So about material goods, about that television show that happened last night, about that fight you had with that person. Once you learn to detach yourself from emotions that really do get in the way of you being productive and you feeling confident in yourself. Then you can take that first step into realizing that you actually have something to show the world that you just haven't yet because you've kept it deep down inside. Well, guess what? I'm going to buy you a book because I want more confidence. You don't need more confidence. I don't know what the world would do. I do need more confidence. Everybody does. Absolutely. Big money energy. I'm going to be the first one in line. Will you sign it? Yes. Okay. And where do people find your podcast right now? Uh, We're recording it right now. It hasn't come out yet. I know, but it's coming out. Oh, only in January. I yeah, thought it was this month. January. January, so stay tuned for that. Yes, yes. And bigmoneyenergy.com. And what's your purpose of that podcast? If you were saying one thing you want to accomplish is what? Yeah, I, I want to have people listen Don't to- Don't give me some bull crap here. No. What do you really want to accomplish? Uh, I want people to listen to stories um, about how successful people were really afraid. What were their What were their, their most afraid moments? Um yeah, because there's a lot of stories about like, hey, how'd you build this thing? Or how'd you do that company? Oh, that's really cool. But what really, really, really terrified you? And, and how did you get through it? And especially when it comes to money, right? When you run out of money, what do you do? Um, and I think there's a lot of people right now who feel very entrepreneurial, but who probably are pretty scared to act on those feelings. And, you know, inspirational Always. stories, I think, will, will, will motivate them. And can I tell you, I think a story about failure with a happy ending, or sometimes even without a happy ending, uh, does more to change people than hearing success stories. For sure. And that's all we have time for today. If you have a question, leave me a voicemail on the Business Unusual hotline, 888-BARBARA. That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. You can also tweet it to me at Barbara Corcoran, and I may just answer it on a future episode. You've been listening to Business Unusual with me, Barbara Corcoran. Come back next week to hear more steps and missteps I took on the path to success. Search and follow Business Unusual on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.